right there on the top of your bulletin. Here's the key text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. You can open it up in your Bible too. We get loud when we open up the Word. And it says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Everybody say, fight the good fight. Come on, say it like you mean it. Fight the good fight. All right, well, let's stand up on our feet this morning. We're going to get right into our victory confession. And uh, how many guys are excited? It's summertime. You've been enjoying the warm weather. All right, a few of you have. Some of you guys are acting like you're still asleep. We're going to wake you up this morning. One more scripture I want you to think about this morning is 1 Samuel 17, verse 29, I believe. Verse, 1 Samuel 17, verse 29. David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And as we get into the series this month, Fight or Flight, I want you to think about your cause. Your cause. You have a reason to fight. Is there not a cause? David had a cause to fight. And we've got a cause to fight as a church. You have a cause to fight, whether you're single or married, whether you have children or no children, you have a cause to fight. And I believe this series is for all of us, but I specifically felt God say, this month, I want you to charge up the men of God. I want you to focus on the spiritual fathers in this house, to focus on the, uh, the seed givers, the men in this room. And so this month, men, I believe this is a time for the soldiers, the men of God to rise up and say, yes, God, I choose to fight. I choose to fight. I choose not to back down, not to run away from the giants that are facing me, that are facing my family, facing my marriage, facing my health, facing my thought life, facing my purity. Lord, I choose to chase the giants. I choose to fight. And that's what we're going to talk about. Are you ready to say our victory confession? All right, if you're new to victory, feel free to join along. We're so glad all of our guests are here this morning. You came to the right place. You're going to walk out today refreshed and encouraged. But we say this confession every weekend right before the message, just a declaration saying, God, I'm ready for you to speak to me. Lord, I'm ready for you to do something new. So on the count of three, let's do it. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. God, we thank you for victory. We thank you, Lord Jesus, this morning that you're gonna speak to us. God, we ask you to take over this morning to do what you wanna do. Lord, I thank you, every person here today, new, Lord, or people who've been here many, many years, God, that we would leave today with just a sense of refreshing, a sense of encouragement, a sense of purpose, Lord, a sense of faith. God, I think you're going to charge our faith up this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're putting away distractions, God, that you're uh, pushing aside anything that would try to hinder our receptivity today of your word and, Lord, what your Holy Spirit wants to do in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Everybody said? Amen. Give your neighbor a high five. Say, fight or flight. Fight or flight. So my brother and I are 13 months apart, and that stirs up a little bit of competition growing up as children and, and teenagers. And uh, when we played sports together, me and John would oftentimes be on the opposite team 
Um, and so I remember one day we were playing a pickup football game right here in the back of Victory Field, and we were uh, with a group of our, our youth pastor and his friends and some of our friends, some youth leaders. At that time, John was 17, I was 16, and I was blocking on offense for our quarterback. I know, look at me, I was, I was the blocker. Y'all are like... You should have been like the, the uh, wide receiver or something. But they put me on the line, and so I was blocking. They put me on the line right across from my brother. And so my brother's on the other side, and he's like just ready. I mean, it was a, a tag. It was t- two-hand touch, and John's ready to tackle whoever's in his sight. I mean, that was just John's way of playing football uh, uh, when we played. And so I was, I was trying hard. I was pushing John back. I was kind of doing some just some dirty moves, to be honest. I wasn't a, a great Christian during that game. Uh, just You've been there before, too, at times, maybe in your past. Everybody's got a past, all right? So I was you know, doing some things, and John said, if you do any more of that, I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> and I wanted to test to see if he was going to really do that in front of our youth pastor and everybody. And I was like, all right. And so I, in the next play, they, you know, hiked the ball, and John's coming at me. And I punched him right in the Adam's apple, like that. I know, isn't that bad? (laughs) Right when I did it, he goes, I'm going to kill you. No, I won't say the words he said, but he said some pretty mean words. We were, we, we were, we, we still are brothers, but you know what I'm saying? There was just some major testosterone building up and just intensity. And I realized I better run for my life. This was not a time to fight. This was a time to take flight. And so I took off running all around the football field. And John is fast. John caught me and he took me to the ground and he just starts, don't you dare ever do that again. And I'm looking around and the entire group of guys that were playing football with us had circled around us and they were just watching. Like this was a pay-per-view fight for them just to enjoy. Like just grab some popcorn and watch the fight, guys. They're all circling around. Not even the youth pastor had pulled them off of me. And so finally they grab them after like a minute of hurting me. And, and, uh, and I said, why didn't you pull them off sooner? And they were like, you asked for it. You asked for the fight. And I think about how the enemy wants us, wants us to really be fighting each other instead of fighting the real enemy. The enemy has stirred up dissension and confusion to cause people in the church to be fighting each other rather than fighting the real enemy. And and you hear that story and you think, well, that's really funny. But the truth is, we've gotten into fights with each other instead of really focusing on what's the real enemy we need to be fighting. We, We don't have time to fight each other anymore. Like that time may have worked 30, 40, 50 years ago. We don't have time for that anymore. We are not in a war with each other. We're not in a war with with brothers and sisters of Christ. We need to come together now more than ever to to be ready to fight the enemy that's coming against this nation and coming against the world. And make no mistake, we are in a fight. We are in a fight. If you think the devil plays nice, you don't know the devil. He doesn't care how nice you are, how good you worship, how great your, 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 your kids are right now. He's coming after your family. He's coming after your health. He's coming. But here's the good news. You have a God who's greater and bigger than any devil, any demon, any enemy in hell. You don't have to be afraid, but you just need to get geared up because you're in a fight. You are in a fight. Every single day of our life, we wake up to a choice to fight 
or flight. What does that mean? I want to define it for you real quick. Fight or flight is a, a mechanism that psychologists, sociologists describe as a response to a, to a reaction to a perceived harmful threat, a harmful event, an attack, or a threat to your survival. And so when there is something that comes against your ability to survive or comes against, uh, feels like there's an attack, you either fight it or you take flight, which means to run away from it. We see this in, in uh, just with animal instinct. When uh, me and John, we grew up watching the animal channel, the, the uh, animal planet. And so we would watch these shows where it would show uh, little animals like a badger or, or like a wolverine that was really small. But when it got cornered by an animal like a bear, it would choose to fight back. And something as small as a wolverine could actually take down a bear because of the fight it had inside of it. It's like the old saying, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And so something happens in you and I as, as humans when we're cornered, uh, whether it's being bullied in the workplace or just things going on in your life, you either shy away and get scared and say, okay, I just, I'm gonna bow down to this, I'm just gonna be a rug, you can stomp all over me or you choose to fight back. But the thing we've gotta know as believers is what are we supposed to be fighting and what are we supposed to be running from? Because there are things that you and I as believers are called to take flight from. Some of those things would be obviously sin. Sin is not something you wanna mess around with. Sin is something you need to run away from. Just like Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife, whatever you gotta do, if you gotta lose your garment in the process, get away from it. Take flight from anything that's tempting you away from your destiny. But it's not just sinful things, it's unproductive things. Unproductivity is just as bad, well, I should say it's, it, is a, it is a mistake to get into something that you're not called to do. It may not be a sinful thing, but it's something away from your destiny. Take flight from that. But everything else that God's promised you in your life, you're called to fight for. Never run away from something God has called you to fight for. And, and this morning, I wanna point out maybe some fights that are going on in this room. Current fights that people are facing. There are some people today that are fighting cancer in this room, fighting leukemia, fighting for their marriage, fighting for their children to, to get back to church, fighting for who's gonna run the house. You've got children trying to run the house, fighting to raise teenagers in the, in the 21st century, fighting against uh, media, trying to attack your family, fighting against uh, uh, peer pressure as teenagers, fighting against persecution for being a Christian in the workplace. How many of you guys are facing maybe a fight somewhere, somehow in your life? If you don't think you are, I wanna let you know you are. You may not realize it, but you are. And for some of us in this room, it's a fight to even want to stay alive. It's a fight to even feel like you've got a purpose. You say, Paul, I'm just, I don't know, I guess I'm just ready to go. It's a fight to even want to do something with your life. There's a fight against complacency, a fight against laziness, a fight against unhealthy contentment. It's a good thing to be content where God's taken you but not to the point where you stop dreaming and allowing God to do something more through your life. We say in our confession every week, God's not finished with me yet. What we're saying is, Lord, I'm not gonna stop fighting until I finish the race. What Paul told Timothy is to fight the good fight of faith until you step into eternity. Fight the good fight of faith. How many of us can see faith? We can't really see 
faith. It's a supernatural thing. We can see the results of faith, right? It's across the street. It's right here, right now. This is the results of faith. We are, we are sitting in a place this morning that is the result of faith, but faith itself is unseen. It's an unseen realm. It's a supernatural realm. It's a spiritual realm. Paul wasn't telling Timothy to go out and have a fist fight with the devil. He was saying, Timothy, fight the spiritual fight of faith. Fight the supernatural fight of faith. It's not out here. It's right here. It's not this. It's this. It's this. It's speaking this. It's declaring this. It's standing on this. It's choosing to let this get inside you and let this come out of you. It's taking the principles of this, the integrity of this, the honesty of this, letting it forgive you, cleanse you, the washing of the word, and then walking it up. There is a fight that we're called to fight, but it's a supernatural fight, not a physical fight. And sometimes a physical fight is actually a spiritual flight. And a spiritual fight might look like a physical flight. What does that mean? That means that sometimes in your life, people want you to fight back. Man, they want you to retaliate. They want you to say mean things. They want you to get angry. That would be a physical fight. But in that moment, what spiritual fighting looks like is I forgive you. Now, physically, the world's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you backing down from this? But you don't realize I'm fighting it spiritually, not physically. It's a spiritual fight. I heard this phrase that life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you respond to it. Life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you respond to it. In other words, you can't control some things that are gonna happen to you. Some things that the world does to you, the storms you walk through, the, the family you were born into, what your parents might have done to you, what your uncle did to you, what your aunt did to you. You may not be able to control what everybody has done to you, but you can control how you respond. And the fight is in your response. Your destiny is connected to whether you fight or take flight. Your destiny. David knew that fighting this giant would determine the history, would determine the trajectory of his destiny. That if he chose to take flight from this giant, if he chose this is really not a fight for me, this is a fight for somebody else, some other soldier, some other Israelite can handle this. But David knew deep down inside, is there not a cause? Men, there is a cause to fight. There's a cause to fight. And I want to just real quickly give you a few points to take away from David's fight. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start at very first verse, verse 1. What can we learn from David's fight? What lessons could we learn from David's fight that would connect with what we're going through today, right now, in our world, in America. There's a fight against fear every day when you watch the news, when you see terrorist attacks, when you see things that are happening, agendas that are being pushed. There's a fight against fear, a fight to stand up for what you know is right. How do we handle it? What can we learn from David's fight? Well, let's go to verse 1, 1 Samuel 17. Are you there, church? If you don't know where it is, it's page 346. In my Bible, and uh, I don't know what page it is in your Bible, but hey, if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to bless you with one at the end of service down at the altar. We're a church that believes in the Word of God, and we think it can change your life, and we're willing to invest in buying you a Bible to get down here at the altar call and have a life-changing experience and get the Word of God in you. All right, 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs... To Judah. Now, right when I saw that, I underlined that in my Bible. 
which belongs to Judah. And to this day, today, it still belongs to Judah. Which belongs to Judah. The Philistines were gathered to battle against the Israelites on the Israelites' territory. Number one, a lesson we can learn from David's fight is this is a fight for territory. This is a fight for territory. Number one, this is a fight for what? Come on, say it with me. Territory. Right when I saw that, I thought, okay, this is exactly what God wants us to see. The Philistines wanted the territory. They wanted the legacy. They wanted the children. They wanted the worship. They wanted the influence. They wanted the impact because they knew if we have the territory, we can have the influence. If we have the territory, we can have them as our slaves. If we have the territory, we can make them do whatever we want them to do. If we have the territory, we can decide whose God is the real God. They wanted the territory. Watch what Goliath says uh, in verse 4. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Now, that doesn't, you're trying to figure out what is cubits in a span. We, we understand things in inches and in feet. Uh, Mr. David Wisner, would you walk up here? And uh, it's ironic that your name's David. Would you stand up on the stage? I need you to just be Goliath. I'm going to show you how tall this man was in comparison to the other Israelites. Would you stand over here so we can see just exactly what's going on here? I mean, he might even have been a little bit taller than that. Can you stand on your tippy toes? Look at that. And so these guys were faced with this man and he's, he comes out and he challenges them. Thank you, Dave, appreciate it. Give him a big hand. He challenges them. And you know what he says? He, he says a, a word about territory. Watch this. Watch what he says here. He, he comes out and he shows them everything that he's got. He shows them all the armor he's wearing and, and his, how big his spear is and how big his, his uh, shield is and all the things that he's wearing. And he stands up and he cries out, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of, of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Here's what Goliath was saying. He was saying, I want your territory. I want you to serve me. I want you to bow down to what I want. See, the fight that you're in is a fight for your territory. You think it's just a fight between you and the computer screen. But see, it's more than that. The devil wants your kids. He wants your wife's thought life. He wants your kids' thought life. He wants your house. You think we're just out there in Manford having a good time with kids. It's about territory at Camp Victory. Every acre, my dad knew, the more territory we have, the more influence we have, the more impact we can make, the more gospel we can preach, the more lives we can change. You think Victory Christian School is just about having a school. It's about territory. Because we know with every graduate and every student that comes through that Christian school that gets the Bible inside them, that's trained, not just academically, but spiritually, we know that's territory for the kingdom of God. You think the Dream Center is just a place to help people in North Tulsa? It's about territory, because we know when we go in, we drive darkness out, we bring light in. It is a fight for territory. Oh, make no mistake, the devil wants territory in Tulsa. 
You think things that are going up in Tulsa are just to help the economy, putting millions of dollars into that thing. It's about territory in this city. And I speak as for us and our church, we will serve the Lord. We will take back territory in Tulsa, take territory in Oklahoma, take territory in our nation. We'll take territory for the kingdom of God. The devil's in a territory fight. He wants us to be in a territory fight with each other, becoming territorial with brothers and sisters in Christ so that we miss the real battle, which is territory between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. This is, a, this is a fight for territory that God has called you to walk in. Joshua, God said, Joshua, I'm giving you territory. David knew that the territory that Goliath was challenging was his future kingdom. Because in 1 Samuel 16, David knew he was anointed to be the future king of Israel. So this is why David responds differently than all the other Israelites. They're running because they don't see a future destiny for this land. But David says, that's my land. That's my territory. Don't you dare come into my house defying my God, defying this land, you uncircumcised Philistine. Get mad at me. Leave the church. I don't care. I'm preaching the word of God. This is a fight for territory. That's what David said. David got so mad. You need to have a cause that gets you so mad. Not at people, but at the devil. You need to have a cause that says, man, when I see sex trafficking, God, I want to get involved and fight that thing and drive that spirit of immorality and darkness out of our nation. When I see a spirit of poverty in our city, I'm driving that out in Jesus' name. We're going to teach people how to prosper. You need to have a cause that wakes you up. You need to have a cause that motivates you. There is a reason to keep living. The devil wants you to bow down, to be complacent, to be a rug, to let him just take territory in your house. Because he knows if he can get your house, he can get your kids, he can get your business, he can get everything. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I want to tell you a real quick story on territory, and then we've got to get to the next point. Um, there was a man who had a dream for some territory in this state. He had a dream to use the territory for God's purpose, to use the territory to train people up to do what God had called them to do. He saw that future territory as God's territory. Now, people came to him and said, you're crazy. You're too old to dream like that. There's no way you could even get this done. Even by the time you got it done, you'd be going on to heaven anyways. He was a Christian man, but he fought for it. Everybody say, fight, fight. for territory. He fought for the territory. He dreamed big. He did everything he could. He woke up each morning. He prayed. He, he read the word. He fasted. He did the things God had put inside him because fighting is obedience. When you're, when you're called to do something, it's like Jonah. Jonah took flight, but God found a way to get him back to the fight. If you try to run away from God, what God's called you to fight, he'll get a whale to get you to bring back to the fight. Come on. This man chose, I'm going to obey, I'm going to fight this good fight of faith, what God's put in my heart. His name is Oral Roberts. We can see across the street the territory that God gave him is now used all around the world. People's lives have been impacted because that man fought for territory. God has territory for you, for your family, for your children and your children's children. 
We were in Haiti, and uh, John and I were 9 and 10, and my parents were going with us. We were going to do a crusade and uh, pass out Bibles and pray for sick to be healed and cast out demons. We were just walking out the gospel. We were there to bring, bring in the light and drive out the dark. The night that we showed up to do the crusade, that first night, witch doctors had surrounded the field. The entrance into the field where we were going to be was blocked by a group of witch doctors. And they began to shake the Jeep that we were in. I was scared. I was nine years old. John was 10. My parents, they just turned around. They said, start praying. Start praying. We started praying. We started praying hard. They began to shake our Jeep back and forth. I'm not talking about five guys. I'm talking about a mass of people you couldn't even see. It was like a zombie movie. They were surrounded around the Jeep, shaking it back and forth. We began to pray, and God parted the Red Sea. We drove through, got on that field. That night, we preached the word. We cast out demons. We brought in the light. We drove out the darkness. It was about territory. The devil didn't want us to be in Port-au-Prince. It was his territory. You say, well, that's only in Haiti. No, no, no. You just don't see. It's actually here, too. You think it's just a fight for you not to be able to open that business, but the devil knows if you open that Christian business, if you do that territory, you're going to influence and impact. You're going to bring in employees. You're going to teach them the word of God. You're going to pray in that office. It's about territory. Number two lesson we can learn from David's fight is that we are called to be faithful in the small battles too. You don't get to fight Goliath until you fight the lion and the bear. I look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 15, and it says that David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. By the way, David was from Judah. That's why David knew that the land of Judah was his future destiny, his land, his territory. David occasionally would go back to feed his father's sheep. David took care of his father's sheep. God can't trust you to deliver the sheep of Israel from the giant of Goliath if you can't deliver your own father's sheep from the lion or the bear. David fought the small battles before he fought the big giant. You got to be faithful in the small thing. Paul, I want something big. I want to do something great for God. And God's saying, I need you to do something small first. Are you faithful to do the small things? Because small doors open up big doors. Small things open up big things. If you'll take the small opportunities that look like they're nothing and they're camouflaged as something that may not be that exciting or fun and, and you just do it and you do it with not the best attitude, God's got to see you be just as aggressive about the small battles so he can trust you to fight the big giants. David would take care of the sheep, not begrudgingly. David would bring his brothers cheese and crackers. Verse 17, Jesse sent David to take his brothers some dried grain, some loaves, and some cheese. And he carries the cheeses and the, and the not Jesus, but the cheeses uh, and the bread out to his brothers. And he trusts, he gets it to the right person. David was faithful in the small things so that God could trust him with the big battles. Number three, we find uh, from David's fight, you must first win the fight in your mind. You must first win the fight in your mind. 1 Samuel 17, 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They lost the battle in their mind before they had even tried to fight the giant. They were intimidated. Goliath is a spirit of, of control. It's a spirit of domination and intimidation. Whatever spirit is coming against you, it's to intimidate you to lose the battle first in your mind. It's to dominate you, to control your house, to control uh, this, this addiction. 
It's trying to dominate you, trying to say you might as well give up. You're never going to conquer this addiction. Might as well accept this is who you are. Might as well accept defeat. It's a fight in your mind first that you can defeat it because greater is he. Because this, the, the, uh, Jesus is the truth. The truth will set you free. That's what Jesus came to do. But the fight's in your mind first. And David could see this because John and I, when you, we used to catch frogs back here behind the church. We used to go and catch frogs and snakes and lizards. We would um, find a cup from inside the church and we put a lid on top because we knew that lid was secure. <laughs> Better be secure if there was a little garden snake in there. We knew it was secure though with the frog. We put the lid on and it couldn't jump up. It couldn't get out. It limited the ability to go anywhere. It put a lid on where it could go. This is what the devil wants to do to Christians. Wants to put a lid on your mind to say, you can't take down Goliath. You can't take him down. It's a mental lid. It's the law of the lid. It's a fight in your mind. David could see Saul and, and the other Israelites, they had already put a lid on their mind. There's no way we could do that. We can't do that. We're, we're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not tall enough. We, we come from the wrong family. There's no way I could graduate college. No one in my family graduated college. And so the devil uses these thoughts to put a lid on your life to say, don't dream big. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to take any territory. What you have is all you got. The lots you've been given, the cards you've been dealt, there's no way you can go further than anyone else in your family. That's what the devil wants to do. The fight that you're facing is first a fight in your mind. And uh, Keys, I want you to come up as I get ready to close. I want you to see what, what David sees. Um, 1 Samuel 17, verse, let's go to verse, um, verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So they lost the fight in the mind. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come to defy Israel, and it will be that the man who kills him, the king, will enrich with great riches, give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. That kind of stirred up David's ears for a second. David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistines? And takes away the reproach from Israel. Don't you love it when you say something and someone hears it and then they ask the question, what did you just say? <laughs> David was right there. I do this all the time. Ashley will be saying something to me and then afterwards I'll ask her the exact question of what she just said. And she's, were you not just listening? I love how the Bible is so just real. Like David hears it and he says, now what's going to be done for the man who kills Goliath? No, they got to repeat it. They tell him, here's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to do this. And then David says this, though. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? They tell David what's going to happen. Then the brother shows up. The brother says this, Eliab, he was so angry. Eliab was David's older brother. David was the youngest. Eliab says, David, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David says, what have I done now? See, the devil wants to get you distracted from the real fight and be trying to fight these battles on the side that really don't matter. Right before I stepped in as pastor, I was convinced that if I didn't have this one person's approval in my life, I was not worthy to be a pastor. This is just 10 months ago. I was so tied to getting their approval. David here realized his brother didn't approve him. 
his brother had, had all these feelings against him. David at first wanted to fight that battle. I've got to impress him. I've got to prove to him that my motives are right. I've got to prove to him that I'm the right guy to fight this giant. But finally, David just walks away. And I think that was, that was the right thing to walk away from. I remember God spoke to me this one night right after I had stepped in, still didn't have that person's approval. And truthfully, I don't think I could get that person's approval no matter what I could do or would do. Because it's not about me. There's a lot of people like David's brother, they just don't approve anybody that dreams big. Anybody that steps in over their head, they just, they can't accept anybody. But the truth is, God calls a lot of people who are in way over their head. I mean, look at Moses, the guy who stuttered, had problems, had a bad past, murdered somebody. And God says, I need you to go do this. Moses says, whoa, I'm the wrong guy. And there was probably a few people that thought Moses was the wrong guy too. But you know what mattered was that God thought he was the right guy. This is what God spoke to me. God said, Paul, quit trying to fight battles that I don't want you to fight. You trying to win everybody's approval is not the fight I've called you to fight. You need to know you've got my approval. Fight to be the man of God in your own house, that your wife respects you. And then fight to pastor the people that I've called to be part of victory. Do that job. Don't try to win every single person's approval. And I remember that night where it was like, man, I just felt free. I love that person, but I don't need their approval anymore. David realized I'm getting pulled into an unproductive fight. I've got to move on and fight the real enemy, which is Goliath. Don't get pulled into unproductive fights, things that really at the end of the day don't matter towards your destiny. God has so much more for you if you'll focus on the real giant that's in your life. The Israelites, when they looked up and they saw Goliath, they saw a problem. They saw an invincible giant that could not be taken down. But David saw an opportunity. See, David had fought this battle in his mind already. He had already defeated Goliath in his mind. So he knew this is, this is, this is not, it's not that Goliath is a threat too big to hit. He's a target too big to miss. I want to say that again. It's not that Goliath is a threat too big to hit. It's that he's a target too big to miss. David had already decided in his mind, God, you might use a stone. It doesn't really matter what you use. You've already helped me to defeat Goliath in here so I know I can do it out there. He had taken the lid off so he knew he could fight. And I want to challenge you today to take the lid off for what God's called you to do. Don't let people determine how far you can go for God. There's going to be a lot of people say, you can't do that. You're too young. You're too old. You're too, you come from the wrong family. There's no way that could happen. You don't have the right connections. Nobody's going to pay for that. Nobody's going to help you with that. You need to know if God's put something deep down inside you, you're not called to run from that. You're called to fight for that. Fight for it. I want to move to the next point, but I feel like God wants me to say one more thing on this point. Lord, what is it that you want me to say on this? Mind games. The devil wants you to get into mind games. He wants to get you thinking this could never happen. He wants to stir up that discouragement, stir up those thoughts of what everyone else has said. He wants to derail you from the real fight in your mind and get you distracted playing games in your mind. Church, we can't fall for the mind games, those, those games that the devil's trying to play. It's a distraction from the real fight that's in front of you. There is a real fight in front of you. One more story on this point. My friend, Jose, he had a dream of going to college. The only thing was no one in his family ever even tried to go to college. 
never even signed up, never enrolled, never went to college. Few of them had barely even graduated. Some hadn't graduated, gotten their GED from high school. He knew in his mind the devil was telling him, you can't do this. No one's going to help you go. You, you, you made bad grades in high school. But he knew he had a calling on his life. So he decided to come to church and he signed up for Victory Bible College. Praise God, Jose graduated both years from VBC. That's amazing. He was the first one in his family to ever go to something after high school and graduate from it. Then God dropped the seed in his heart. You're going to go to ORU one day. And you're going to graduate debt-free. And you're going to graduate as a good student. Not just with a bad grade point average. You're going to graduate with good grades. You're going to graduate doing things well. I can tell you today, Jose graduated from Oral Roberts University debt-free. He's in California as a youth pastor today, ministering to teenagers, pulling them out of darkness, bringing in the light. He had to win the battle in his mind, though. Number four, what we can learn from David is that God is with you. No matter what anyone says, God is with you. 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, watch what David says. Saul, Saul tells David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. Saul was saying, if I can't do it, you can't do it. That's what people want to say. If I can't do it, you can't do it. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came to take a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Hey, I want to say this. God is into resumes. He wants you to remind yourself what he's helped you do in the past. God has a resume himself. He says, hold on, remember what I did in Egypt when I parted the Red Sea, when I brought the ten plagues to get you out of there. Remember what I did for Joshua around the walls of Jericho. Remember when I made the sun stand still. Remember when I delivered Rahab from that evil plot. Remember when I delivered the Israelites. Listen, God has a resume. And you need to remember and know God is with you for whatever he's put inside you. The fight that you're facing, you're not facing alone. God is with you. David says, the Lord, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw. I love how David gives credit to whom credit is due. The Lord, it wasn't me. You need to know it was the Lord. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't my wits. It wasn't my skill. It wasn't my education. The Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the, the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so the Goliath comes at him. Goliath says, come at me. Verse 44. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. <laughs> and David says this, you come to me with the sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you with the Lord of angel armies. I come to you with the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defy. Whatever's coming against you, whatever addiction's telling you you're defeated, whatever thing's coming against your marriage, whatever thing's coming against your family, against your children, against your teenager, as a teenager, whatever's coming against your purity as a single, whatever's coming against your, your purity, whatever's coming against your dreams, whatever's coming against the thing that God's put in your heart, you need to tell that devil today, I come at you with the Lord of hosts. I come at you, and I'm not backing down. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not giving up. The Lord is with me. Number five, last point is this, attack the giant quickly. Attack the giant quickly. 
So it was, verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Goliath is coming at him. David knew all the other Israelites were running behind him. David could run, wait a couple years, go to the weight room, get a little stronger, take some protein shakes, get a little bit bigger. But he knew, he knew this, this principle. The longer you wait to kill the giant, the bigger the giant gets. The longer we wait to defeat the giant, the bigger it gets. And it's not that it gets bigger out here, it's that it gets bigger in here. You must attack the giant quickly. It says that David, as soon as he saw him running, David went running too, got his boxing gloves out. No, he got the stone and he got the sling and he slung that stone and he hit that giant. And I think that stone was really Jesus going right into his head, knocking the giant down. Attack the giant quickly. There's things that are telling you, just wait for it. One of these days, 20 years from now, then you'll be ready. 10 years from now, then you can, don't confront that person. Don't, don't stand up for yourself in the workplace. Don't do any of that. You're, you're going to get fired. You might as well just lay down. Might as well just quit. Might as well give in to whatever the system is, the spirit is, the politics they're playing. But God's put a dream in your heart. God's put a fight in your bones. And if you bow down, if you bow down to the thing that God's called you to do, if you don't fight for it, the devil's going to take that territory and he's going to use it for his own purposes. He's put you strategically in that place. Not to run, not to quit, not to give up, but to fight for territory. You're not in that company as the only Christian just because God wanted to play games with you. No, he puts you in there strategically to take territory, to take ground for the kingdom. You say, but Paul, there's darkness all around me. I just feel like leaving. I feel like quitting. But God says, I put a fight inside you. I put a fight inside you. The same fight that Paul told Timothy to fight. I'm telling you, fight the good fight of faith. I want to end with one last story. There was a man who had a dream in his heart to play professional football. He lived in a small town, played for a really small school team, but he won a lot of awards in his school, in his town. The only problem was because they were so small, no colleges noticed him, no one gave him a scholarship. So he graduated from high school and he found a junior college nearby and he went there, he didn't play any football, didn't play any sports, began working at Pizza Hut, began delivering pizzas. One night he came and brought a pizza to this little boy at his house, this family, little boy answered the door and looked at him and just kind of stared at him for a second. And finally the little boy just asked him, this, the dad was like embarrassed, the dad was like, son, quit staring. And then he was really embarrassed when his son said this, his son said, you're a star football player. Why are you delivering pizzas? The man felt heartbroken. It was a wound deep in his spirit a dream he had given up on, a goal that he had let go of. He said, that night, that little kid lit a fire inside me. He reminded me there's still a fight left inside me. He said, that summer I went out and I began to train. In three months, I gained 70 pounds. How do you do that? He said, I beefed up. I went and I tried out for the university that I'd been wanting to try out for, Wisconsin. 
He said, they let me on the team. I walked on that year. The next year I started. I got a full ride scholarship by my senior year. I was drafted the 11th pick for the Houston Texans. That's J.J. Watt. He started out as a pizza man. Today he signed a $100 million contract to keep playing in the NFL. All because one little kid was brave enough to challenge him to say, you've got a dream inside you. You've got a fight left inside. I want you to stand up on your feet this morning.